2: Good morning and welcome into Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score, the extended remix version today, Bruce Levine, as we take people all the way up to Cubs pregame right around noon on The Score. Good morning, sir.
3: Good morning. It's just an extension of the Bill Walton experience today. That's all it is. So we'll be talking about the uh, historic broadcast of last night with Jason Benetti and Bill Walton from anaheim the white Sox, and the angels game at some point here and i'm sure we're going to get a lot of interaction on that but we'll start out today matt um, with the cubs uh after of course we let people know that inside the clubhouse is brought to you by max and benny's in northbrook your summer home for the best food in chicago and the checklist best deli no doubt the best full service restaurant without question the best bakery you bet Max and Benny's has full dinners with all the trimmings from four to nine, seven days a week. That includes skirt steak, roast beef, chicken, and the freshest fish in the city. Max and Benny's has private dining areas for all of your party and business meetings. They go from 10 to 150 people accommodated. Catering is king at Max and Benny's. Ask for John at MaxandBenny's.com. 30 minutes from downtown, 30 minutes from the Wisconsin border. Max and Benny's where the pastrami sandwiches are piled as high as a Chicago skyscraper and also probably no segue into what the Cubs are doing here, but nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless that's where we're going to go.
2: The only thing that could maybe be piled as high as, as the Max and Benny's um, Don't say lunch it. You'll be off the air. is, is the marijuana that is, that is stocked.
3: Uh, at, at, at Walton's house I, I just think that's permanently Bill Walton
2: I think it is Like enough things have been done in his life That he's there I, at Next hour, Bruce We're going to play people a long highlight uh, Of the best of Walton from last night Because that's it, it might be the entire Like the number one buzz around baseball this morning I heard people talking about it on MLB Radio on my way in Twitter was going bananas on it It was just a breath of baseball fresh air Maybe not fresh But a breath of something it was, Last night
3: It It was different, and and I think the different was nonstop, and it was all over the place, and anybody who was not a baseball fan and was just looking for some form of entertainment from a very famous, tremendous ex-basketball player, now analyst, and just all-around California guy, it it nailed it.
2: The news and the the heartbreak and the ugliness uh, of the Cubs is absolutely the lead. But just a taste of what you're going to get if you didn't listen last night. Here's Bill Walton seeing a squeeze bunt, I believe for the first time in his life last night, and it scored a run for the White Sox.
4: I'm not ziplining. I'm... What offense? This, this is brilliant. And the Sox get a run.
1: And a safe call at first. Yomer Sanchez back to that Brilliant.
2: Butts. Give Ricky a contract extension. Oh my gosh. This is a strategic victory. That is uh, Bill Walton noticing what a squeeze bunt can do for offense and falling in love with baseball as, uh, as the game was happening. We'll talk about that. I thought it was a great idea. So much fun and, uh, and, and really a nice palate cleanser after two incredibly horrific and ugly Cubs walk-off losses. Uh, that's yeah. where we must start news-wise. And,
3: and of course, uh, you know, again, uh, the great drama of the National League Central and the Chicago Cubs, Matt, just being a, another team, okay? And I think at, at some mm. point people should accept the fact that the Cubs are just like seven other teams in the National League, There's the Dodgers, there's the Braves, and then there's everybody else that's contending for the spots in the playoffs. And the Cubs are one of those teams. It doesn't make them a bad team. It certainly doesn't make them an outstanding team. It's a team that is kind of floundering right now and trying to find its way toward the playoffs 40 games from now
2: we've now reached historic levels of home and road splits the six of seven that they've now lost on the road where really the only comp is the 87 twins minnesota twins who were just awful on the road and ended up, I mean, in terms of like a winning team, ended up winning the World Series. They had home field advantage, and they won four home games as opposed to the three road games, which they lost in the World Series. I mean, like, that's the only sort of comp. Yeah, but, they,
3: they've won two, six of eight.
2: Uh, six of eight, yeah. thank you. Uh, but my, my God, the the ugliness on the road, and really the, the, last, the last two nights, Bruce, you and I haven't had a chance to talk. I don't know if you were on the air yesterday, but Thursday nights, 5 nothing lead that decayed into the Bryce Harper walk-off was just, as Joe Madden said, that one was going to leave a mark, and I think it left a mark on fans as well as ballplayers.
3: Let's listen to uh, Jed Hoyer before the game as he talked to the beat reporters for the Chicago Cubs and talked about the, just the unbelievable situation that the Cubs are in and how it's unacceptable to him, the players, and everybody involved with the Chicago Cubs. As I was regaining perspective on my walk, I was thinking, you know, we are in first place. We don't
5: deserve to be based on how, how we played. Um, if we were in any other division, we'd be seven back at least. Um, but we're tied. I mean, and that's, you know, we should look at that as an incredible opportunity that um, we've had all these road struggles all year. We're 15 under on the road. And yet somehow we wake up this morning in first place with, with, with a chance to, you know, win the 41-game sprint to the end. Um but we can't keep having this conversation over and over. We we keep on playing well at home, having that conversation. They go on the road, kind of knock, you know, give up whatever lead we have, get knocked back down. Like, if we continue that cycle, we're going to end up disappointed.
2: Jed Hoyer, before the game yesterday, and he said we wake up in first place. Well, not anymore you don't, one day later. There's a difference in the news items because the Cardinals beat the crap out of Luis Castillo and the Reds last night and the Cubs find themselves in second place in the at National League Central. We
3: thank our friend Mark Gonzalez for posting that uh, on the Tribune website as well, and so we gathered that sound. But, Matt, uh, the, the idea that um, the Cubs are not equipped to score enough runs on a given evening and to solidify that win at the end has been documented. Now, people will say, well, you know, Levine, you're nuts, because when they're at home, This is a a totally different team, a team that finds a way to win, a a, a team that finds a way to score enough runs, a team that finds enough bullpen help at the end to win games. And and that's true. They have the second-best record in the National League in home games. But I don't think at this point in time you look at home and a road, all you look at is the inconsistency of a team because every team that's ever advanced in Cub history – beyond uh, the playoffs all had a a road record that was 500 or above this one is not going to have it it's already close to uh, a couple games away from guaranteeing that they won't have a winning road record this season
2: Hmm. it is uh it's absolutely brutal um last night Brandon Kinsler fresh off the disabled list has given the job of trying to finish out the ninth That's the guy that I thought should have been given the job. He's done that job before. Um, I spoke with him, uh, what, a week and a half ago during the homestand right after Kimbrell got hurt and asked him about the ninth inning. Are those outs different? Brandon, they are. Really? Yes, they absolutely are. I don't care what anybody says. They're different. Kinsler's been so good all year but especially after the intentional walk, then he could not find the plate with walks. It,
3: was that fair to him uh, coming off the DL and going into the highest leverage point?
2: Probably not, yeah. but, I mean, but, but that's, that, that's where you are.
3: Because that command issue that you just talked about is real. I mean, it's it's fair to struggle with your command after being out for 10, 12 days and uh, going into this highest leverage situation in the bottom of the ninth inning. Now, from Joe's perspective is... I got a guy. Uh, the other guys have not been getting it done. We're still missing c We're still missing Kimbrel. Um, at least I got one of my guys back, and I like the new toy, I can't wait to use it because we've been struggling in this situation. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily fault him, but you certainly understand the command issues for Kinsler after coming off of the I.L.,
2: yeah, I I I, fault, I faulted Joe for Thursday. I thought Thursday was brutal. Um, I know I know that you Darvish said that he was starting to lose his command. He told Tommy Hotovy that he thought he should be taken out. So you know, at, at the moment it was like, why are you doing that with ninety two pitches in Darvish? But then you find out after that, Darvish essentially said he was done. So you can't you can't hit him for that. It's the continued usage of Pedro Strope in big moments. Pedro strope has been broken for a couple of months, and it's been incredibly obvious. Before this stint on the injured list, they said they were going to put him in low-leverage spots, but as soon as he's come back off the injured list, they've put him in high-leverage spots. One time it worked. This time, again, it did not. And eventually go to Derek Holland, and, and Bryce Harper is a beast. But my problem is, is, is not that they didn't go to Tyler Chatwood there, My problem is that they have yet to use Tyler Chatwood in high leverage, short relief spots when the year has screamed for aggressively trying to find people. And Chatwood's stuff has has said that he's ready. His demeanor and confidence has said that he's ready and he should have been used in that kind of spot long before the other night. So he's an option for you right there in that moment. But they haven't been aggressive enough with, with, with Chatwood, in, that, in my mind, right. in giving him a so, chance to be ready for that moment. So on
3: the nights that uh, your starter fails um, and you don't have a long man, who do you use? Yeah, How uh, often has a starter failed in the last week? Uh, plenty. Yeah, Plenty. So, so I mean, it's, it's fair to hold him back. Your Your point is well taken. He's got a power arm. Uh, I agree with that 100%.
2: You need swing and miss stuff you, at the end of a to, game, Bruce, and Chatwood's got that stuff, and right. it's been begging to be utilized in that kind of, uh, uh, that kind of scenario. Unfortunately,
3: unfortunately, you're down Kimbrell, and Kimbrell is the key to, and, and he certainly hasn't been perfect, but it is Greg Kimbrell. And not having the swing and miss guy at the end is something that every staff that's successful has to have, whether it's a power arm or a trick pitch arm, yep. it's somebody that can strike people out in the ninth. It minute. was
2: supposed to be Brandon Morrow. We know it's not, it's not going to be. Then they go out and get Kimbrell. I understand. Rowan Wick has shown the ability. He, was, he had a bad game, really, for the first time on Friday night. But Chatwood stuff has been demanding it, in, in my opinion, and to not have gotten to a point where he's even an option in, in those circumstances, so to me, is crazy. You're
3: frozen in time Thursday night. You don't have Kinsler. You don't have C. Mm-hmm. You don't have Kimbrell. What kind of bullpen do you actually have? You have Kyle Ryan lead, uh, starting off two out of three games in the ninth inning just mm. to get a left-hander out, right? I mean, that's the situation you're in where Joe has had to match up in the ninth inning in order to even – Consider getting a say. Yeah, so,
2: and he does it again last night. So, Throws Ryan out there for the matchup so, so moments before Kinsley. Again,
3: your premise is, okay, don't use Strope anymore. Who do you use? Chatwood. I mean, but you can't use Chatwood in the 7th and 8th. you got to get through that 7th and 8th.
2: Well, he tried to do it with so, Wick when he went, I, I when just he went say, to Strope. I'm it, just
3: saying the numbers have impeded the ability of Joe to make decisions that normally he probably wouldn't make.
2: He has not been given a really useful um, quality nor healthy bullpen. That's absolutely true. It has required him to be perfect, well, and, he, and he has not been perfect. It's
3: been since September of last year, and to Epstein and Hoyer's credit, they went out and uh, they they got uh, relief pitchers last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kinsler didn't do the job, um, but you know some of the other people they brought in did. And this year, it was, we'll wait for Morrow again, okay? That hasn't panned out. So they eventually came around June 1st, took some of that Zobris money, and wisely used it for Kimbrell, who still has not gotten to the Craig Kimbrell point of the year yet. Uh, Will this back him up again when he comes off the list the next couple of days? We'll have to watch and see. But it's just been a, a broken element of the Cubs' game the fact that a scoring more than two runs a game has been a problem, and b the bullpen has been blowing fifty percent of their save opportunities basically all year
2: and, and and that will damage the psyche of a team
3: and, and as Hoyer said, here we are yes, you know before the game they were in first place they 're a game out they 're tied for the second wild card today
2: with the phillies they 've given the Phillies some life here
3: right and washington 's ahead of them, but I mean you know if if, if the if baseball stopped today, Matt, the Cubs would be in Washington playing a wild card game. They
2: would. I thought their percentage points behind the Phillies. All right, right so now.
3: one or the other. I but think, the, the point. The point is, is that uh, they would no longer control must, much of their destiny at this point in time because of the fact that they're in that seven team mix of. We're three games apart from each other. Yes. Uh, If you have one hot week like the St. Louis Cardinals have, all of a sudden you go from three games out to a game up. Uh, You have a hot week and you're the Brewers and you were 500 and then you you creep your way up. Now you're back to the – you're only three games over 500. It's just that kind of year in this division.
2: The Cubs had that hot week during the homestand. And and you're thinking, oh, my God, you know what? Finally, the trade acquisitions all slot in quite nicely. Here we go. But then they go on the road and things, things get ugly again. You're right, Bruce. That, that's where they are in that mix. And they're well below those great teams in the National League. They're in the Astros and the Yankees and I think the Twins and maybe the Indians. And they're below those teams from the American League as well. And they're still... Uh, you know, a, a pretty good team with a very, with a good shot to make the playoffs. But it is not where people thought they'd be at this point no, in the window. And,
3: and it's the, just the, not. The drama, of the struggle, I think is fascinating, to tell you the truth. It might need, might be tough on Cub fans. It might be, uh, you know, something that people question around baseball, why it's happening. But nonetheless, as you put it, they're right there. Their fate's right in front of them. 40 games they, left. They have, con- they have control over it. Now, as to how it shakes out, I think it's going to be, Fascinating drama, a very cub-like season, and I, I think it's going to be fun to watch.
2: Three one two six forty four sixty seven sixty seven. Um, it, it, we'll, we'll have more when we come back from Jed Hoyer before the game. We'll we'll tell you some quotes he had about Joe Madden because uh, I I think you can read into those some some awkwardness, don't you think, Bruce? Yeah.
3: Let's take one call from uh, Bradley or Berkeley, I believe it is, and Roberta.
0: Roberta, you
3: you are on Inside the Clubhouse. Matt and Bruce with you.
0: Okay. One of the main things is Joe Madden. He does not know how to manage the bullpen. And then what was David Boudy doing in at third base instead of Chris Bryant? Those more balls are going in the infield than the outfield. Joe, uh, David Boudy is is an average third baseman or under average. What is he doing in there? And then where is Chatwood? Why isn't he pitching in the ninth inning?
2: They're holding on to Chatwood as a long man, as Bruce said, and I, yeah, I think he's being missed.
3: Roberta, you've had it with Joe, huh?
0: Yes. Everybody was calling last night to Julie. I'm re- I was screaming at the TV. I could manage this team better than him. <laughs> Joe Mann makes the most stupid mistakes. First it was Carl Edwards Jr. in there all the time. Then it was Strope, And and Ryan had been pitched a lot of pitches the night before. He should have had Chatwood in there. But David Bode is makes me the most upset at third base because all the – there seem to be all these grounders are going. and We finally get uh, Bias back and uh, Russell, and then we get David Bodie in there again. Yeah. That's my hey, Roberta, point.
3: leave your number for our producer uh, Zach, and we'll we'll give that to Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer in case they make a change. Okay. I- all right, Roberta, thanks for your call. Addison
2: okay. Russell did come in for defensive purposes to play second. I think they like David Bodie defensively at third even more than they like Chris
3: Bryant. Well, I think they they like Bryant in the outfield uh, because uh, he gives them better defense when they have to replace Schwarber in the late innings. Yeah. And and, it's and, just, you know, it's, it's defensive roulette, Matt. And uh, defensive roulette means that that bullet usually finds you.
2: Yeah, it bit them in the butt on Thursday night defensively. Bodie having to play shortstop after Baez had the illness. Ian Happ with a couple of grounders off his arms. And then there's Addison Russell yesterday you know, instead of is, Albert Almore. The point
3: is, they, they left a the run at third base with one out in the eighth inning. Uh, they couldn't get that in. Two runs a game's not enough. 3 1 2, 6 4 4, 6 7 6 7. Continue to take your calls. We'll talk to Jason McLeod, the vice president of scouting in the minor leagues for the Cubs, J.D., Jim Deshays, and David DeJesus, all a part of the show. We give you an extended hour today, 9 till noon, of Pure Baseball Chicago Talk with Bruce and Matt.
2: And Bill Walton, the best of, coming up at the top of the 10 o'clock hour. It's 6.70, the score. Keep it right here.
0: Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
1: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. Welcome back in on
2: 670 The Score. It's inside the clubhouse. Matt Spiegel and Bruce Levine here with you after a couple of incredibly uh, upsetting walk-off losses for these Chicago Cubs who are coming up later on today. Bruce, a couple texts at 670-11. The Cubs are bleep right now, but my hope is they will not get too far behind. No more than three games back, get healthy, heads on straight for September. Maybe even Morrow can come back, but I don't count on it. Cubs will make or break their season in September. 27 games, 21 versus division rivals. Cincinnati, three. Milwaukee, five uh, of seven, plus two at the end of August, he's saying. Pittsburgh, six. St. Louis, seven, including those last three. They've yeah. got a shot schedule-wise if you, they're just in it.
3: I guess, unfortunately, you got to break it down to how many of those games are on the road and how many are at home. <laughs> because uh, against division rivals, uh, they have dominated. I think they've won, like, 19 out of 24 at home and on the road i think it's it's almost the exact opposite so from from all of that it's like okay where are you playing those division rivals and and how does it come out uh can they just turn a switch on and go okay we're better at home we're better on the road or is this just an average team i mean it's okay it's okay if they're an average team. Yeah,
2: but Bruce, it's the middle of the window, and, and Cub fans have expected far, far I better. Know, they told they were going to be far better in
3: payroll. I understand all mm-hmm. that, but what are we dealing with? 122 games into the season,
2: you're dealing with uh, a very flawed team,
3: right? And injuries have had certainly had a tremendous impact on the team. Uh, you you have the age factor coming into the mix, possibly with John Lester. Uh, recently with Cole Hamels. Is that age, or is it just uh, a pitcher hitting a wall at a particular point in the season and able to turn it around like they have throughout both of their incredible careers?
2: Yeah, you know, the really maddening thing is that the issues are the same ones that have been there since down the stretch last year and since it was announced that they knew exactly what the issues were on October 1st from Theo's postseason season um, speech. So it's like the same stuff. But then they went pretty far towards correcting some of those things at the trade deadline. A lot of those pieces seemed very, not, very helpful and fit nicely, but not far enough.
3: Not the number one thing in my priority, and theirs certainly not, because they believe that they have enough, enough on-base percentage guys for Joe to have been able to find a proper leadoff off man. Such is not the case in my world. My world has always been since Fowler left, who do you lead off with? And with the Zobrist uh, taking the personal time off, how that's impacted this team? Because whether you think he's the um, quintessential leadoff type, uh, he he does have he does take some of the best at bats of anybody in baseball. Result isn't always exactly what you want, but this is a thinking man's guy, a guy that. They're probably counting on here maybe as early as a week from now to be a part of that mix. Maybe next Tuesday after his recent uh, go here this weekend in Iowa, it's time time to get him – uh, back with the team.
2: The bottom of the hour is brought to you by the Chicago Wolves. Your Western Conference champion, Chicago Wolves, will open the season on Saturday, October 5th. for group and season tickets visit chicagowolves.com. And it's brought to you by Subway. Subway restaurants feature a different 6-inch sub for three seventy-nine day. Subway, make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied. So I guess pregame, Jed Hoyer also spoke about Joe Madden's status and Gordon Wittenmeyer wrote about it in the Sun-Times.
3: He did, uh, and the headline to- they said, uh, you know, Madden's, question, Madden's status in question. Uh, let's, uh, let's hear what other people have to say about uh, him.
2: Well, asked about the job performance uh, was Jed Hoyer. Um, Gordon says that Jed Hoyer conspicuously talked around the question without answering it. Quote, I think one of Joe's best strengths is that he shows up every day and he's the same guy. We had a pretty awful loss and he's confident. He's got a smile on his face. I think it's genuine. That kind of leadership, I think sometimes people want to see things thrown or things overturned. I think that's something that he does exceptionally well. So uh, it, it's, it's Hoyer mentioning uh, that, you know, the good things that they like about Joe, but not really talking about the performance from from uh, Gordon's perspective, uh, a little bit more from from Hoyer on, on Joe's status. Quote, we talked at the beginning of the year how it's not going to be a topic of discussion, and it's something we'll talk about at the end of the season. I would triple down on that now with 41 games left. Now 40. It's not a topic our players should be answering questions. It's not a topic that should be distracting our coaching staff or Joe. That's from Jed Hoyer.
3: Well, I mean, I guess you don't tell media or fans what to ask, okay? So, even though Jed's not going to like it and Theo's not going to like it, it's going to persist. And people are going to continue to ask questions about Joe's status, about how he impacts the team, and where, whether or not he's going to be the manager next year. Particularly, Matt, when you have these tough losses where the team is not living up to the quote-unquote expectations of what people thought this team should be this year. And when you continue to have uh, losses at the uh, end of game where you're not scoring a lot of runs and where you're laying it on your bullpen to get that final decision and the games aren't turning out properly. That's just the nature of leaving a manager in a lame duck status, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, Epstein will come back and say, I had my own lame duck status in 2016. I was in the last month of my contract. Um, We proceeded to win a World Series. I did my job. Uh, that's all true, except there's no contract to be had for Joe Madden in October. Theo got his uh, right at the playoffs in October 2016. So Joe has to wait and see how the team succeeds before he finds out. Uh, and the questioning will continue, you know, regardless of whether a front office executive wants them to continue or not.
2: Uh, this call from Don in Burr Ridge before we take a break on 670 The Score. Hello, Don. Welcome in.
6: Hey, guys. Love the show. I listen to it every week, and I uh, I call quite a bit. Anyways, a um, couple things. Uh, who's to blame for this team? It's got to be the top-down. It's got to be Hoyer and Epstein in regards to how they um, they set up the um, the pitching staff, the, the relief pitching. They, they For years, they've went the cheap route on the, let's get the the guys who've been injured who have higher potential and have a pen out It's worked well for them in the past. It's bitten them in the butt with Moreau this year. Now, going over to the stroke thing, Stroke's miles per hour, what I see is it's down about two miles per hour, which is huge for a relief mm-hmm. pitcher. Relief pitchers, they fall off the table real quick. But Madden overuses his relief pitchers, Strope and Edwards. Those two are exceptionally, not good, but great relief pitchers in the past, and I think the overuse of them, has caused their issue. So to blame um, what's going on, it's got to be the top down. And what's going on with some of the relief pitchers, got to put a lot of blame on Matt, and that's my opinion. Yeah,
3: well, I I agree to a point, Uh, Matt. uh, I don't agree with the bullpen as it stands with the injured status. Uh, You can say C-Sheck, his hip injury, was a product of pitching too much over two years or a continued life in baseball, 36 years old and – a, you know, a tremendous gamer and a guy that has a rubber arm. But the reality is is that um, at the end of the game, they're missing their guy that can strike people out.
2: Yeah, Pedro Strope is not the same he's Pedro Strope.
3: And he's not – yeah, he's losing – He's look, if mechanically, he's using his top half. He's had three significant leg injuries mm-hmm. since last fall, okay? He's using his top half – it's easy to say that he's lost velocity because he's not, not able to use his whole body. He's using upper arm. And you see the command is the same thing.
2: Yeah, he's lost the command because he's trying to rear back and forget that extra velocity.
3: He, he doesn't have the bottom half to use.
2: Yeah, no, it's absolutely true. Yeah. So, And they know it. Tommy Ottervie has spoken publicly on this radio station very specifically about the issues. And yet Joe keeps going to him because he trusts him. And, I, you know, sometimes you can trust the guy too much. And sometimes the guy who's a warrior will say, I'm fine. I can go no, I can do it, I can do it, and you got to be the adult and not go to him.
3: Vice President of Scouting in the Minor Leagues, Jason McLeod of the Cubs, will join us after this break. 312-644-6767 is the number to get in. Text Matt at six seventy eleven. It's
2: Inside the Clubhouse on
3: 670-The-Score.
2: You're listening to Inside the Clubhouse on 670-The-Score. We are broadcasting from the Hyundai Score Studios. Test drive a new Hyundai. Get a $50 reward card. Terms apply. Top of the hour, we'll talk about Bill Walton and Jason Bonetti last night in the Sox broadcast and give you some of those highlights from a a much-discussed evening out there in L.A.
3: Yeah, Bill Walton. Just uh, an interesting fellow, I would say. (laughs) If you'd like to spend, uh, like, one hour with him, it would be, like, 24
2: I I think one game was pretty much a season. I I think we're good.
3: I think we're covered. It's going to be interesting. But now we uh, have the opportunity to bring in the vice president of the minor leagues and scouting for the Chicago Cubs. Jason McLeod joins us on Inside the Clubhouse. Good morning, Jason. Good
5: morning, guys. How are
3: you? We're good. Uh, You know, as I was texting you uh, last night to uh, solidify that you were coming on the show, there was that uh, ugly occurrence of another brutal loss. Uh, internalizing it as a top executive for the Cubs and a baseball fan, how do you uh, get your head around what's occurring there over the last couple of days?
5: Oh, man, it's, it's tough. You know, I, it's, you mentioned I, I got up, I walked outside this morning. It's such a beautiful day, and people are jogging, riding their bikes everywhere, and, I, and I'm walking around like a zombie out here. Um, just trying to stomach what's happened the last couple of nights. It's just uh, you can't even imagine imagine it. even with, you know, the road woes that we've had um, to, to lose like this in this fashion um, on back-to-back nights on this trip. And, you know, especially when you look at the, the pitching performances, you know, outside of the, the Hamill start. I mean, you, you look at, you know, Q and Dervish, Hendricks, yeah, those three games they start. I think they gave up two earned runs in 20 innings. You know, only allowing two walks in those three starts combined, and, and we're only 3 in those games. It's it's really hard to to swallow.
2: Jason, of late there have been a, a couple minor league guys who have been able to contribute. I mean, Kyle Ryan is a great story and a great find. Rowan Wicks, uh, you know, quick evolution with the breaking ball has been has been great to see. But at, overall. Um, I, I would, I would assume that you're disappointed with, um, you know, not being able as a developmental group to provide Joe Madden and the big league club with more bullpen options, more swing and miss options at the back end of the bullpen. Is that, is that fair to say that, that you have some disappointment for not being able to, to give them quite as much as, as they need?
5: Yeah. I mean, I think that is fair to say. I mean, organizationally, uh, yeah, we're not certainly not, um, You're not happy with, with, you know, how things have gone for us in the pitching development as a whole over, you know, essentially, especially in our time here, um, yeah, you would, you would want as an organization to be able to keep supplying the team, uh, with pieces that'll help them win. And yeah, I think we've had, you know, small wins here and there. Um, but I'd say, you know, in in total, we're, we're not happy at all with it. Um, that said, I mean, we've talked about this, you know, a lot over the years, um, with, you know, what we've tried to do in pitching and, and, uh, you know, certainly we've made a lot of trades at pitching. I think we've traded nine or ten pitchers out of our minor league system, um, you know, to go get a Hamels or a Jesse Chavez or a Mike Montgomery and Kinkan and those types of guys. But, but yeah, I think um, we have definitely made strides over these last two years in particular. Um, Our velocity is up across the organization. Our strikeout rate across the organization is up. Um, And we do have, you know, pen arms both in Tennessee and in Iowa who have taken big steps forward this year in terms of stuff and swing and miss so in that regard we're happy but yeah in total yeah we would love to be able to keep supplying the team with guys that can go into the minor league system and get and help us win
2: in looking back on the last five six years of that do you think it's a product of 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 not finding those arms in the draft or or not being able to develop them once you have uh, raw talent
5: I think it's a little bit of both. Um, you know, I think because of the, especially in the early years, and again, I understand that pitching comes from everywhere in the draft, so I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, and try to say, well, it's because we didn't take pitching in the first round early on in, in our tenure here, but, but the reality is, yeah, we didn't. You know, we, we we did focus on, on uh, position players early on in the, in the early rounds of the draft, and and then yeah, I think you look at a year like 2016, um, you know, when we didn't pick until the third round. I mean, that's you know, two rounds of, of right. that we didn't even select, which is really tough. When you look at now where we are in the minor league system, um, you, know, you, you, you typically would be having guys ready to you know, make an impact on the team. And even though we didn't pick until the third round that year, I think when we look back when it's said and done, 2016 is going to be a pretty, pretty good draft for us. But um, I think part of it was the selection process. Um, first and foremost, but like I was just saying, I think we've really made big strides over the last couple of years with our implement- implementation of, of R&D and you know, some data-driven um, decisions that we're making. And then I think our pitching infrastructure um, has really um, stepped forward under under Brendan cigarro our pitching coordinator, and some of the things that we've been doing. Um, over the last couple of years in particular.
3: Jason McLeod joining us, the vice president of scouting in the minor leagues for the Chicago Cubs on Inside the Clubhouse. Jason, the continued player development is such a head-scratcher. You have four guys from the 2016 world champions that made an impact uh, in Schwarber, Russell Edwards, now traded, Almora, that have spent time in the minor leagues uh, up and back uh, over the last couple of years after that championship. You have Hap that started uh, in the minor leagues for four months after hitting 25 home runs in 2017. How, in this era, as a director of the minor leagues and scouting, how do you get your head around the fact that player development at the major league level is so difficult to really – Quantify and and how how difficult it is to really get a feel for who the player is that you actually have.
5: Yeah, you know, Bruce, that's a good question, and you know, it's hard to put out your finger on it with with all of the information that's available to the players. Um, and that, and I'm going to say in a good and bad way because there's information that other teams are, are using to to attack the players and make adjustments to them. And like you, like you said, we had guys that came up and, and made an immediate impact early on in their careers, especially uh, contributing to that, that World Series championship. And then as we've gone forward from there, you know, typically you would be expecting them as they're coming more into their prime years, um, you know, hopefully to keep improving. And you know, I know Theo's mentioned a lot that, uh, that development isn't linear. And, and even when you get to the major leagues, um, guys will have their struggles, but yeah, you know, we've seen some of our players, uh, for for you know, one reason or another, uh, have bigger dips in, in their performance, and yeah, uh, you know, we've seen that take, you know play out by having to send some guys back to the to the minor leagues to try to work on things, um, you know, giving them a lot of information to help them become the best versions of themselves and get back to doing what what it was that they were doing well, um, and certainly the league has adjusted uh to some of our guys and and uh you know we've we've had some of our players that you know haven't adjusted back yet and and you know certainly we're doing everything that we can um without you know giving them way too much information you know, you certainly don't want you know paralysis by analysis but at the same time you know we we would have hoped and expected our guys to to not have some of the struggles that they've had in the last year.
2: You know, it's so interesting, Jason, when we were growing up, uh, most lineups would have the diversification of a few slappy guys up top and maybe at the bottom and you'd have your boppers in the middle. Now I feel like so many hitters are being asked to do everything like Anthony Rizzo can do where you're swinging for the fences for your first two strikes. And then you're adjusting and having a B hack, you know, with two strikes and becoming more of a situational guy. And I feel like we're learning that it's just really hard to teach say, you know, launch angle slugger types to become situationally appropriate. Like maybe that's just something that has to be found when we're scouting guys as opposed to being able to be taught to guys. Is that a, is that a generalization or or, or or what have we learned about this process here?
5: Well, I think we've learned that, uh, you know, I think hitters with, with all of the, the great technology that's out there and, um, the coaching that's available, and we've seen guys make certain swing changes, uh, whether it be to get the ball in the air more, to drive the ball in the air more. I, I think hitters have uh, some some innate tendencies about them. And you know, generally speaking, you're not going to find too many guys that, that swing and miss a lot on their way up the, the, the ladder that suddenly aren't going to be swinging and missing too much. Um, I think you have seen guys that, do you make a conservative effort with with uh, two strikes, like you said, whether it's be to choke up or take that B hack uh, to go up there and compete and to go up there and to fight uh, to avoid the strikeouts, especially you know, in situational um, situational hitting. But I think that, you know the game itself too. I mean, you're looking at you know, the three two outcomes a lot, you know, with the walk, the homer, the strikeouts, um, and that's the era that we're in. Not that it's really enjoyable for a lot of baseball <laughs> fans to watch that. But, right. you know, certainly I think as we're in the draft, I think as we're in the international market or even for scouting, I mean, we, we all want to find guys who can control the strike zone for sure. Um, but we're also in an era where, where, where players are trying to get the ball in the air more, players are trying to hit balls in the seats um, and, and trying to put up the quick runs on the board. And I think that's something we're – yeah, you know, we're still trying to hone and develop throughout the organization of you know, our, our organizational philosophy, philosophy. Excuse me, of uh, selective aggressiveness is one that we we do try to do damage early, but we want to be able to compete with two strikes and not just take the strikeout.
3: So, um, when you're watching Glaber Torres, um, how much pride do you take, and how much wincing do you do, knowing that that brought you guys a world championship, and uh, and. I'm going to bring this up every six months or so when you do <laughs> say you're coming on the show because it's such a, a prideful thing to have a, a, a great player out there, but uh, so difficult when it's not a part of uh, your organization any longer.
5: Yeah, you know, it's, it's. I think a lot of us look at it with pride because of the, you know, the the everyone that went into scouting him and went into signing him, and then for the couple of years that he was here in player development. Um, yeah, the one thing that, that was really always impressive about him was his ability to stay behind the baseball and backspin the ball to the middle of the field, especially the right center field. And it's funny you brought him up. Because I was just actually just looking back at some of our reports on him, even from his South Bend year. I think he hit maybe four home runs that year. Um, but a lot of us had you know solid average power, gain power grades on him because of the way he stayed behind the baseball and locked it in, in the air and the hand strength. And, uh, just the, the determination he had, the, the character, the work ethic, um, you know, and, and even when he carried that with him next year in the Myrtle Beach, you know, it's, it, you, you have a lot of pride about it. You miss the person as well cause he was such a good kid and is such a good kid. Um, and now you see what he's doing over there. You know, it, it's not surprising to any of us. Um, maybe a little bit with the power, but I think this year with the baseballs being as, as juiced up as they are, I think everyone's not overly surprised anymore, but, You know, funny thing is with Brandon Hyde being such a good friend and him managing the Orioles and Glaber, I don't know, having 17 home runs or whatever just against his team, I I get to hear a lot about him, that's for
3: sure. Jason, we appreciate your time. Uh, We didn't even get to Horner and Alzele and uh, and some of your fine prospects, but I know they're on their way. We'll get you on again uh, before the year's out. Thanks uh, from Matt and uh, myself for coming on Inside the Clubhouse. We appreciate it.
5: Okay, guys, it was great talking
3: to you. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks, Jason. Jason McLeod, the Vice President of Scouting and Player Development for your Chicago Cubs, and uh, uh, some excellent questions that you asked him, Matt, uh, directly about supplying or not supplying uh, that swing and miss guy, and uh, that's, uh, you know, it's it's part of what uh, they have to deal with right now, the fact that uh, you have to go to the outside market and you have to be a little defensive in your trading, and and move away guys that you don't necessarily want to move because of the fact that the swing and miss guy hasn't been created yet. Although Carl Edwards was certainly one of those guys before he faded.
2: Yeah, uh, and I think they're, they're making strides and kind of teaching those kind of things uh, in the system. Hey, join Lawrence Holmes this Tuesday at Budweiser Brickhouse Tavern, 3647 North Clark, from noon to 2 when Nicholas Castellanos and Derek Holland will be there for the Budweiser Brickhouse Tavern for the final luncheon of the 2019 Cubs on Deck series. Tickets are on sale now at 670thescore.com slash on deck, presented by TimberTech and Xfinity. Castellanos is a very interesting guy and a good talker, and Derek Holland is as well, so check those out. It's Matt Spiegel and Bruce Levine inside the clubhouse on 670thescore, Jim DeShay's next hour, and the best of Bill Walton coming up next. <sighs>